The following message was recorded at Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. More information can be found online at Bethlehem.Church. Let's pray together. So Lord, we, we come to you now. We come to you again another Sunday morning. And God, we're asking you to do what you keep doing for us over and over again, to meet us in your word, to meet us by the power of your Holy Spirit, to help us see you, to help us see ourselves, to help us worship, to help us tremble before you, to help us boldly approach you, Lord, to do all of these things that you promised to do by your word because of the blood of Jesus. So, Lord, would you come now? Would you meet us in your word? We're trusting you to do it. We're, we're staking our lives on you doing it over and over again. So please do it, Lord, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, kids, I'm going to talk to you right away first. Uh, have you ever, in the past couple of years, probably especially, made plans as a family, and then those plans suddenly had to change? Any of you kids ever had that happen in the last few years? This happened constantly in the COVID era with our kids. I mean, all, all the time. Something was canceled. We didn't get to go. And eventually, we had to put qualifiers on everything we said. Right? This is the plan. But remember, the plans never happen anymore. Right? Or... So extreme was it that the first time that we ever were going to take a road trip to Florida with our kids, we were so nervous that it was going to get shut down and we were going to disappoint them that our kids didn't know we were going to Florida until they got in the car, right? We had to send them to Nick's to play some video games to trick them so we could load up the car and, and head on out. The first time that was met with joy, the second time we did that, the next year, there were tears because of the long road trip. But in the, in the end, we just knew... We just can't make promises anymore. We don't, it's out of our control. And in the end, that wasn't something new, right? It was just a new experience. We were just feeling it more. We actually have no ultimate control over anything. And that's not an overstatement. I'll say it again. We have no ultimate control over anything, right? We can plan we can work hard, we can eat healthy, right? we can exercise, we can do research and invest in the market, we can make budgets, we can vote and campaign, but the plans can still suddenly change. And we can lose our jobs. And we can still get that phone call from the doctors that changes everything no matter how many blueberries we eat. Right? And we can, we can still have to deal with chronic pain. The market can do what the market's been doing. Right? Inflation can skyrocket and wreck our budgets. And our preferred political party can lose or they can fail us. And if you've been watching the news the last three weeks or so, you only need to watch a little bit to see wicked acts of violence for various motivations all around the world and in our country. So hope in our plans, here's my plan, that's sinking sand. 
Hope in our work, our jobs, sinking sand. Hope in our health, sinking sand. Hope in the market or financial security is sinking sand. Hope in politics is sinking sand. And even hope in safety is sinking sand. We've seen it. We've felt it. We've all felt it a little bit more the last few years. So then where do we turn? And if that's, that's all true, that's like a very dire start, right? If that's all true, where do our hearts find rest? Where do our hearts find rest? I'm just going to read you two verses that I've been going to over and over again in the last couple months. Psalm 62, verses 6, and then verse 8. Here's what it says. He, that's God, he only, it's an important word, he only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. Verse 8. Trust in Him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before Him. God is a refuge for us. Because He's the only place we have to trust in Him at all times. <laughs> right? If there were other places, we could trust in various things at various times, but because He's the only place, He says, trust in Me at all times and pour out your hearts before me. In other words, he's not a, not a distant God. We're going to see that today. He's not a distant God saying, well, deal with it. I'm sovereign. You know what the end is? He's saying, pour out your heart. Trust in me. I'm the only place you can come, but I want you to come. I want you to pour out your hearts before me. He's the only place that is unshakable. And so at all times, we're called to trust Him and pour out our hearts before Him. To trust Him as our refuge and our Redeemer and our rock and our our resting place. So I'll say this again. We have no ultimate control over anything. But our God, who has sent His Son to die for our sins and save us to eternal joy, by His grace controls everything. We have no control over anything, but He controls everything. And today we'll see that His promise-keeping is not dependent on our works or our power. And I hope that by the end of the sermon, what you'll experience is what I experienced this week. To, To hear that is really, really good news. That's not dependent on me or my works or my power or my control, but on this God who owns all things. So let's dive in here to point... Number one, which I'm saying the promise, patience, a people, and a place. So we've said since the very first sermon in Genesis that all of this book of Genesis, and I I think all of the Bible, one of the ways you could talk about the Bible is that it's all about God keeping His promises so that His people can come to His place to enjoy His presence. That's what God's doing. He's he's pursuing his people, bringing them to his place so that they can enjoy his presence. In other words, we're saying creation, this very world that we live and move and breathe in this moment right now, your drive into church, your drive home, your lunch, everything, it's all about that. It's created that those made in the image of God might have fellowship with God and might worship God. So we think it's all about from beginning to end. From Genesis 1, God creating a people and a place, right, to Revelation 22. God creating a people and a place, finally. 
So we've seen this, right? We've seen this. Just a recap. We've seen God do this in the garden right away in Genesis 1. We've seen him do it when he promises, I'm going to send an offspring. <laughs> and he's going to crush the serpent's head and I'm going to pursue you and bring you back into my presence. We've seen genealogies, right? Those exciting parts of Scripture you love to read. We've seen them track this line of promise. That's what those genealogies are doing. God saying, remember I said I would do this. I'd pursue you. I'd give you an offspring. And these genealogies take us to that offspring. We've seen him do it in preserving Noah and his family through the flood. We've seen him do it when he promises Abram, I'll make you a great nation. I'll multiply your offspring. Right? And all of the nations will be blessed through your offspring. We've seen him confirm that promise. Remember Genesis 13, where he takes a little walk with Abram through the land. He walks with him and shows him, this, this is the promise. I'm showing it to you. I'm walking with you. And then he protects him and blesses him in battles and blesses him through Melchizedek. And then we saw just last week when Pastor Daniel preached that his offspring would number more than the stars. And God confirms that with him, shows it to him, and Abraham Abraham believes him, and God counts it to him as righteousness. This is what God's always doing. God is working to keep his promises to bring his people to his place to enjoy his presence. What does he want from his people? What have we seen so far? Trust. Trust me. (laughs) Believe me. Right from Genesis 1 until this moment, he's just saying, believe my word. Hear what I'm saying and believe me. And so that's what we see again here in chapter 15. A people and a place. Let me just read you a couple verses to show. So look at verse 7. We see this place. He said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out from Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess. There's the place. And then look at verses 18 to 21. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram saying, to your offspring, there's the people. I give this land. There's the place. Then he gets specific. From the river of Egypt to the great river, the Euphrates, the land of the Kenites, the Kenizzites, the Cadmonites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Rephaim, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, and the Jebusites. In chapter 13, God walks Abram throughout this land with all these geographical landmarks. And here he is again confirming that promise and showing the particular place the people will get to enjoy his presence. But notice a plot twist in the story which is just going to keep happening over and over again in Genesis. Notice in verses 12 to 16 that this will happen on God's timing, not on Abram's timing. Right? Isn't that the hardest part of being a Christian? The hardest part of being a part of the the people of God? The waiting, right? Do it now. Give me breakthrough now. Come back now. Make it all and now. But here's what we see. In verses 12 to 16, God says that despite this great promise, and it's a great promise, it's going to be wearisome at times. It's going to be a windy road. He says his offspring will be sojourners and servants in a land not theirs for 400 years, and this great darkness falls upon Abram because that's not good news. That's, That's heavy news. That's not the plot twist any of us would want for our family. Hey, it's going to go well for you, but just know 
for 400 years, it's going to go really bad. Right, 400 years is a long time. That's hard news to get for Abram in this moment. Right? God says, eventually I will judge the people that your, your people serve, the Egyptians, and eventually your people will return to the promised land once I'm also ready to judge the Amorites for their sin. He says the Amorites need to fill up their iniquity and then God will judge them and drive them out and Abram's offspring can come in. So here in the, in the world, there's a bunch of things happening, right? Abram is just going, I just have to keep walking around. <laughs> I just have to keep going places. Why wouldn't you just give me the land now? And yet here, over here is, well, the Amorites, they have to fill up their sins. I'm, I'm doing something. I'm waiting. I'm being patient here, but it will come and then I'll bring you into the land, and I'll judge this people, and I'll judge this people, and I'll bring you in. So God is always doing about a hundred things when we can see about three things if we're lucky, and that's the story here. The promise will happen. It's going to come to pass, but on God's timing, and God is promising him, it's going to be a windy, weary road. (laughs) This is not going to be as straightforward as we wish. Kids, have you ever tried to go somewhere and there's a traffic jam? Right? And you're stuck forever and your parents are really happy about it. Right? And something gets messed up. But eventually, most of the time, you get there. Right? You eventually get there. And kids, that's, that's what life is like following Jesus. It's not always what we want. It's like Minnesota in the summer with detours and road construction that take you all over the place to places you would never have expected to be to get from A to B. And yet, God promises, I'm going to get you home. You're going to get home. It's going to be on my timing. It's going to be windy and sometimes weary, but I'm going to get you home. So two quick applications for us. First, I just think it's good to stop and notice the kindness of God to keep reminding him of his promises. This is a kind thing to do. He doesn't have to do this. Right? He, he's told him several times now, here's what's going to happen, here's what's to expect, and yet in Abram's moments of doubt, what has God done? What have we seen him do? Draw near. Speak to him again. Remind him of his promises again. Not pull back and say, figure it out already, right? He draws near to him. And this is what God has done for us in his word. This is why around here we just plead with you to read your Bibles. We we plead with you to not have Sunday morning be the place where you get the word of God. We, We plead with you to commune in fellowship with God in his word and in prayer day by day by day because we want these reminders for you. We want you to read his word, right? All the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. It's objectively true. He's paid for them. They're for you. But they don't do you much good if you don't ever remember them. If you don't ever read them. If you don't ever remind your your hearts of them. God is kind in his word to remind us over and over again, I'm real. I'm powerful. My promises are true. And he's given us his word and himself and the indwelling Holy Spirit to keep us and hold us fast and remind us. We have a God who leans in in kindness to remind us of who he is and his promises. And second, God's promises will come to to pass despite windy and weary roads. (laughs) 
Isn't that good news? Despite the whining we arose, it's going to happen. God can't break his promises. And we are ultimately, here's, here's what's crazy about Genesis that we keep seeing. We, I believe, because the Bible says it, are ultimately hoping for the same promises that Abram was hoping in, in an ultimate promised place to enjoy God. In other words, as God is, is, is saying this to Abram, Abram, I think, is going, that's good, I love that, and I'm even looking for something more, something better, something even bigger than Canaan. And the reason I think that is because the Bible tells us that's what's going on. So Hebrews eleven fourteen to 16 is talking about the story of Abram, and here's what it says. People who speak this way make it clear They are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they'd gone out, Ur, they would have had opportunity to go back. But as it is, they desire a better country. That is, a heavenly one. So something in Abram knows (laughs) Canaan's not the end. Right? That's not the end. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. I think that's what we're hoping for. Don't we want a homeland? I I will just put to you, as you lament, and as you see the news, and as you see things go wrong, as you see violence and sickness and suffering and your own sin, and your your heart begins to groan, you're just groaning to be home. (laughs) And you're not home yet. This isn't home. This is what we want. We want a homeland. We want a place where our souls can rest. Right? We want to enjoy God's presence in God's place with no hindrances of suffering or sin or tears or death. That's what Abram wanted most. That's what the the heart of faith wants most. And Canaan was never going to be ultimate. Never. It was a heavenly city. A better country. So I don't know uh, this morning where you're at in your windy journey, I know where a few of you are at in your windy journeys, and they're windy right now, and they're hard right now. But here's an invitation for me, for you, to step away from the sinking sand, right, of, of hoping in anything else, trusting in anything else, and to fix your eyes on Jesus and the promise of God that He has prepared a heavenly city for us to enjoy His presence forever. Right, to, to, to step away, whatever you're hoping. And I'm not, I'm not, I know none of you would say, right, I'm, I'm hoping in this or that and not do the Sunday school Jesus answer thing. Right, so I just want to probe a little deeper and say, but, but where does your mind wander during the day? What makes you anxious? Right, where, where, do you, where do you struggle? Where, where do your thoughts go? Because God knows that already, so let's not trick him by saying, well, I'd always say Jesus. Let's just be honest and say, man, here's where the struggle is. Here's where the brokenness is. Here are the places I just am anxious, which means that I'm trying to trust in these things for my, my joy and my hope. And then the offer is just, just bring them to Jesus, right? Draw near to him and he'll draw near to you. Point number two, the promise keeper, which is God himself. So I already said we have no ultimate control over anything. And so, as big as this promise is to Abram, as big as this promise is to us in Christ, if we have to accomplish anything, or if if I have to earn 
something or if I have to control something or be able to manipulate things to make this come to pass, then I don't know about you, but this promise would just feel very shaky to me. It's not real comforting if it depends on me. And so I think Abram, in verse 8, he's looking around at a pretty crazy life. Like if you track Abram's life to this point, it's been pretty wild. Right? It has not been all roses and butterflies and rainbows, right? He's, he's done all sorts of things, like long journeys, famines, spars with Pharaoh, battles. His wife is barren. And in verse 8, I think, because of verses 1 to 6, I think this question is coming from a heart of faith, a heart that really wants an answer from God, a, God, a heart that wants to know his God. And here's what he says in verse 8. O Lord God, how am I to know that I shall possess it? How am I to know? Right, that's an honest question, I think. In other words, God, help me, help me trust this promise. I, I want to. Right? I want to believe you. Help, help me trust you. So how does God answer him? What's the ultimate answer? God answers him by having him gather up some animals. <laughs> now, not immediately obvious what's going on there, but he has them gather up, right? A heifer, female goat, a ram, all three years old. If you move forward to Leviticus and start looking at the sacrificial system, you can make all sorts of connection. He gathers a turtle dove, a young pigeon, and God has him cut the goat and the ram and the heifer in half and lay them across from each other, and then he puts a bird on either side. In other words, you want to picture like some right here and some right here, and, and he's creating a, a path that he can walk through. So what, what's going on here? Uh, what is this strange picture? This isn't something probably any of you have ever done. So verse 18 tells us that God is making a covenant with Abram to have this offspring in this land. And if you actually read the the Hebrew verb there, the actual language is to cut a covenant. To cut a covenant. You might remember from Genesis 3 when God clothes them with animal skins. And back then I said, to have a covenant, something has to die. Something has to to take the place, right, of of the the sinner, of the, the sinful reality when we're entering into relationship with God. And so what's happening here is these animals are being cut laid across from each other, and then what would happen in these ceremonies is that the one making the promise, the one saying, I will keep this promise, what they're saying is, if I don't keep this promise, cut me in two like these animals. That's how you cut a covenant. You can go read examples of it. They happen throughout the Old Testament, a couple in Jeremiah, a couple other places. And so I think Moses, as he writes this, knows the people of God know, know this, and he's, he's building drama. <laughs> he's building tension. The question in the story then would be obvious to the reader. Who's going to walk through the animals? Who does this depend on? Right? Who will make the promise? Whose life will be on the line to keep the promise? Here's what verse 17 says. Read it with me. It says, When the sun had gone down, and it was dark. Behold, a smoking firepot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. 
So Abram has been put to sleep. It's dark, and into the darkness a light shines. That's what's going on here. There's a picture of the light shining in the darkness. A smoking fire pot, a flaming torch, light up the darkness. And not only do they light up the darkness, but these things pass through the animal pieces, right? This would be a strange scene in a movie. And the question is, who is this? Who's passing through? And I think it's pretty obvious that this is God himself passing through, a manifestation of God himself passing through these pieces. So think with me of the presence of God in the burning bush, right? Exodus 3, 2, the presence of God there. Or uh, think of the presence of God like a burning fire on Mount Sinai in Deuteronomy 4, 11. Or Mount Sinai is described as a burning fire with smoke going up because of God's presence in Exodus 19, 18. Or think of the, the pillar of smoke by day and the pillar of fire by night as God leads Israel through the wilderness showing them his presence or even think of the tongues of fire as God's presence falls on the church in Acts 2 all of the light and heat and intensity of fire is often the way God shows up to represent it's called a theophany God showing up to represent his his holiness his unapproachability his otherness, his purity, his heat, his light. This is God showing up. And if I'm right that this is God showing up, then this moment is absolutely astounding because we see the transcendent holiness of God has condescended to man. He's not remained far off. The unapproachable holiness of God has approached man to make a promise to be for man and not against him. So who will make the promise? Whose life will be on the line to keep the promise? God himself. God himself. Not Abram. It's not up to him. It's up to God. And God cannot fail, which makes these promises dependent on God and not on man. Makes these promises completely sure, completely unshakable, This makes these promises unlike every other thing in the world that can change and fade and fail, especially us. It makes these promises unlike any other promise that can be made by any other person. So kids, think of it with me this way. Have you ever played a game where you have to roll dice? Right? And you you don't have much control, right? My kids get real frustrated at dice games (laughs) because you don't have any control. And if we would have to get ourselves to God, it would be like rolling the dice (laughs) because we aren't strong enough to control everything and we're sinful. We can't see and we're finite and foolish and easily frustrated, but it's not up to us. There's no dice rolling for God's people. God promises we will win and we'll be with him forever. So remember with me again that this covenant moment is springing up from a question. Right? What was the question? God, how can I know? How can I know? It's a question, I think, from a heart of faith. And maybe it's your question right now. I know that 
uh, Daniel and Nick were joking the last few weeks because we had to kind of switch sermons and who was preaching what, and I told them I was mad. They took my sermons. I actually offered, but then it's in my nature to then act like I didn't. And so it was this big deal, and they said that. And, and all I would say to you is, I mean, they did a great job, and God knew I needed to preach this sermon. He knew that I needed this for, for my heart. And, and I think that we need all, we all need this for our hearts. So here, here's this question. How, how can I know? Right? How, how can I know I'll make it? And how can I know you see me and you care? How, how can I know you love me and you'll keep all your promises, even the promise of a heavenly city? How can I know there's a final resting place free of suffering and sin and tears when all I can see right now is difficulty and tragedy and frustration and hardship and weariness? How can I know? And God's fundamental answer in answering this way is he would say, how can you know? Because I am. Because I am. His answer is himself. It's a fundamental answer here. He's saying to Abram and, and to us and how he keeps his covenants, I am. It's, it's me. Right? I, I can't fail. And not only am I, I am, and I can't fail, but you've seen that I'm for you. And not only am I for you, but I'll, I'll come to you. I won't stay distant or far off. I will condescend to come to you. You can't approach me on your own. You dare not, but I've approached you. I've made promises. And yes, it's been a windy, weary road for you. I know that it's been for your good to depend on me, but here I am. Right? I'm the only thing that doesn't change. I'm the only thing that cannot fail. I will finish the work I started because it's my work. I will meet you with new mercies every morning. I will be enough for you and you don't think you can make it another day. I will meet you in your doubts and your fears and I will hold you up when you can't hold yourself up. I will send my spirit to keep you and seal you. I'll send my spirit to pray for you when you don't even know how to pray. I will be with you always. I will never leave you or forsake you. I will be a very present help in your time of need. My power will be perfect in your weakness. I will fight for you. I will keep my promises to you by my strength and not not yours. So of course, if you think you can't do this on your own, you can't make it, you're absolutely right. But I've never asked you or told you that's how it would work. I promise to complete the good work I started in you. Your certainty is in me. So if you're asking Abraham, if you're asking Bethlehem, how can I know? How do I know? My answer is simply, Know me. Just know me. Verse 17 is God showing that he will keep his promises by himself, according to himself, according to his character. He speaks and it comes to pass. His word cannot fail or fall because his word is an extension of himself. That's how God keeps his promises. Which leads to point number three, the ultimate promise. God gives himself to purchase a people to dwell in his place. So all of that, all of that is yours, right? If you've trusted in Jesus to forgive your sin, all of this is pointing on purpose to the ultimate promise. Remember, Abram was promised his offspring would not only bless the promised land, but be a blessing to 
to all the nations. So I just want us to see in the New Testament, pick it up to make it contemporary for us, pick up this theme, and ask the question, so who is the ultimate offspring, and what's the ultimate land? How does this relate? How do we update this for us? Well, listen to Galatians 3.16. Who is the ultimate offspring? Now, the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. And it does not say, and to his offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one. And to your offspring, who is Christ. So, in the promises of God, there are often, what I'd say, near fulfillments, and then far fulfillments. I had a professor tell me it was like, you know, standing on a mountain, and you can see kind of the ranges of mountains going further and further away, some closer, some right here, and some off in the distance. And in this promise of God, God certainly did multiply Abram's descendants. Right? He, he did that. We see that happen in Egypt. He gave him many offspring. That's the near fulfillment. But Paul's telling us there's an ultimate offspring, a far fulfillment, and his name is Jesus. And so what's the ultimate land? Can it be only Canaan if this offspring is to bless the nations? And I would just say it can't be. That doesn't even keep the, the full promise. Certainly Canaan was the near fulfillment, but how big, how expansive is the far fulfillment? Listen to Romans 4.13. For the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world. How big is the promise? The world. <laughs> the, the whole world. Right? What was the promise to Abraham and his offspring? That he would get Canaan? Yes, in the near fulfillment, but no, much bigger in the far fulfillment, that he would be heir of the whole world. That heavenly city, that better country, right? That new city that's coming down in Revelation. So here's the picture we have that we've already seen in Hebrews earlier. God's working to keep his promises to Abraham, to give him an offspring that would bless the nations. That offspring is Jesus. And he will bless the nations so much that Abraham and his offspring will inherit what? The whole world. Right? And Paul uses this argumentation in 1 Corinthians. He says like, why are you so worried about stuff? You own the world. Right? You own all of it. It's, it's all yours. So we could say, so what is our hope? And our hope is that in Jesus, in our union with Jesus, by faith in his death and resurrection to fulfill all of God's promises, to be this perfect offspring, this perfect Israel, this perfect son, that when we're in him, we are offspring with him by faith. Galatians 3.29 And if you are Christ's, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to promise. I'm not, I'm not making any of it up. Like the Bible's just telling us, here's who you are. Know all that stuff about Abraham? That was all pointing to something bigger. That was all pointing to you. Right? Think about the promise to bless the nations. Are we close to where Abraham was? Like, where are we? Right? Lakeville, Minnesota. Right? Across an ocean. We are right here, Abram's offspring, fulfilling that promise. Right? Here we are. It's gone. It's beginning to go to the nations. So what do we receive as heirs of this promise? 
We receive salvation from our sins. We receive rest for our souls in these unchangeable promises. We receive a Redeemer who is our rock and our refuge and our rest. We inherit the whole world. (laughs) It's it's all going to be ours. We know that we'll receive that heavenly city. And we know this because God has come down to us again. Once again in Jesus, he has kept the covenant by his own power, this new covenant. Rather than us being cursed for our sin, right? rather than us walking through those animals, having to keep the promises on our own, and ultimately, of course, we would fail and having to be put to death for our sins, rather than that, the Bible tells us that God has kept his promise by entering our mess, the light again shining in the darkness in perfect holiness and became a curse for us by hanging on that tree. And by trusting in his death for our sins, we move from cursed to adopted. It's not just you don't get the curse anymore, but come into the family. Come into the family of God. We move from outside the promises to inside the family as heirs of the whole world. God has worked to keep his promises. He is pursuing us with goodness and mercy all the days of our lives. He will keep his promises by his power. He will keep us by his power. He will bring us to himself by his power. He is with you now if you've trusted him. That's the promise. He will not let you go. And so I'm pleading with you and pleading with my own heart this week, don't look around to circumstances for rest for your soul. It's all sinking sand. Know him. Know him. And one day very soon, He will bring us to that heavenly city by His power. It's coming. He will put an end to all sin by His power. He will put an end to all suffering by His power. He will wipe away all of our tears by His power. He will end all pain forever by His power. He will end all death forever by His power. Not dependent on us, but dependent on Him. And it may be a windy, weary road until we get there, but our God keeps His promises, and He will not stop until all of His redeemed people are in His eternal place to enjoy His presence forever. And there in that place, through that windy road that gets us there, will lead us to Him, where there's fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Let's pray. So Lord, we would just, in this moment, say, Lord, we believe. Help our unbelief. Lord, I know, um, I know of some of the circumstances in this room. uh, Some of them are really heavy and really hard, really uncertain. And Lord, I just pray that right now you would be that very present help. Lord, that right now you would help us to have a settled sense of the reality of a God who keeps his promises to us in our souls. That it's objectively true because of Jesus. That there's, there's no chance it will fail because of Jesus. That you will keep and work for your people. And that one day soon you'll come back and make all things right. And all things new. So until then, Lord, we ask for your help. We groan in the, in the pains of childbirth with the rest of creation waiting for the redemption of our 
bodies. We, we wait in that hope. And God, we trust that that will soon come true, that soon our faith will be sight. So Lord, work in us to keep us. Remind us of who you are, Lord. Help us not to look to circumstances, but to look to your face, to approach your throne of grace for grace and mercy and well-timed help to take you up on your offer to come to you and find rest for our souls. Lord, we need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Bethlehem Baptist Church in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for these copies or alter their content in any way without written permission from Bethlehem Baptist Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us online at Bethlehem.Church or write us at 720 13th Avenue South, Minneapolis, Minnesota, 55415. Bethlehem Baptist Church, spreading a passion for the supremacy of God in all things, for the joy of all peoples, through Jesus Christ.